shock the system. Welcome to Dank Discussions with your host, Calican CEO, Maynard Breslow. In each episode, you'll learn from the trailblazers, leaders, entrepreneurs, and influencers in the ever-moving, ever-growing cannabis industry. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Dank Discussions. Today, we're joined by Alicia and Christopher Ratliff. Alicia and Christopher are the CEO and president of Victus Capital Ventures, respectively. And uh, thanks for joining us today, guys. Absolutely. Thanks for having us, Maynard. Thanks for having us, Maynard. Amazing. No, pleasure to have you. I know uh, we've already had a great connection and you guys have been making the rounds on the podcast. have a lot to talk about today. We're going to be talking about um, Alicia's background, Christopher's background, but also Alicia uh, as a you know, working in lab and as scientists and uh, how this all combines into, into cannabis um, and maybe talking about her new role. She's a chief scientific officer a little bit, um, but then also, you know, delving into what it's like now being, you know, uh, um, diversity in, uh, in the cannabis space um, and some of the social issues that we face um, and going in deep dive into that as well. So super excited about that. But I guess, you know, as I always say, let our listeners know where, where you're coming from today. Absolutely. Sure. Are you guys based out of today? I'm sorry? Where are you based out of today? So we are based out of sunny Florida. And I can honestly say sunny. It's like 82 degrees outside. So it's super hot and nice. But um, yeah, so just to give you a background of, of me and, and how I came into this space, um, I am a scientist by trade and I have my degree in chemistry specifically. So um, I came out of school working in extractions for uh, the EPA was my first role. And it's exciting to know, you know, now in retrospect, looking back, a lot of those techniques that I learned in school and learned in my first role, extracting soil and water, uh, running instrumentation that I would be using and pulling on all those things now um, in the canvas industry. So that's pretty fun. Um, I dabbled in that for a few years and then, you know, kind of got bored with um, just the level of growth and advancement that's in small laboratories, unfortunately. And you, you really do have to sit around and like wait for someone to quit, die or retire for you to move up into a space, you know, and it's like you look 30 years later and it's like, man, I can get a promotion now. And it's like, that's not for me at all. Wow. Uh, so I started looking and I um, took on a role that was actually outside of the lab um, at a contract analytical uh, facility where I was a project manager. And I started managing um, a lot of the studies that we were running for um, you know, pesticides and how to register those products and uh, technical reports that I was writing to submit to different government agencies. And you know, that really helped to kind of round out all of my nerdy science that I was doing at the bench level and kind of add some of those you know, business aspects of like you know, how to manage budget, timelines, how to manage people how to manage, you know, uh, being able to dumb down uh, really technical information for people who are non-scientists and um, really keep customer relationships going and stuff like that. So um, I really enjoyed that role too. And, you know, that um, ended up not being the best fit for me. Just, you know, again, leadership, small lab, um, being a man's world and not really uh, being able to break through that ceiling there. Um, and I started looking at the canvas industry. And, you know, with the help of Chris and his knowledge base on, you know, canvas cultivation and just, you know, the market in general, uh, he was able to really help me and, and coach me into my first role uh, within canvas, which was working for a startup out of Jacksonville, Florida. 
And um, I just have to be blunt. That was probably the largest leap that I've ever made in my life. Like it was, it was super intense. You know, I'm coming from <laughs> your normal lab work where you've got SOPs drafted for you and you're just pushing a button on an HPLC every day mm -hmm. to, you know, walking into a facility where it's completely demoed and you have to get your facility up and running and product on the shelf in six months. And I'm like, uh, I can't read blueprints. I'm not an engineer. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. So I had to uh, really adapt and learn how to put multiple hats on at the same time. And, you know, I became kind of a, Chris calls it a scientific unicorn, if you will, where I, I just learned how to um, really specialize in building out these uh, extraction and processing manufacturing facilities from the ground floor. And that's what I've been doing now for the past like four and a half years in Canvas. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And, you know, there's so much there because, right, sometimes we look and we dedicate so much of our time to one field or one position, one job that we're looking for. And then we get into it. We're like, this is not at all what I wanted or not even what I was thinking about. And it seems kind of like a bummer. Right. But then yeah. with something else and and then you, you see like it sounds to me like, right, like you're starting in a lab. Right. And kind of like thinking, OK, cool. This is what I want to do. And saying like like you were saying, right, it's like these judges. Right. You got to wait for one of these judges to die before you can start moving up and all these kind of things. Same thing in the lab, apparently. Right. But then you move over oh, yeah. here, completely different skill set. Right. Project manager having to work on all these kind of different things, a lot of moving parts, you know, and um, but how it kind of all came together. Right. How it all is coming together and oh, yeah. what you're doing here, where you're, you know, and in, in, uh, Invictus and everything else. Right. I mean, is is talk to me about like is being a lab like something that you, you're still passionate about or is it something like, you know what, I kind of like being on the field a little more. I like kind of being able to mix up a little bit or, you know, uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. Well, I, I like it all, to be honest. Like I, I'm not a one trick pony. I don't like to, you know, just be, you know, closed minded off into this is my lane and that's where I swim and that's where I stay. And it's kind of like what you were saying about, you know, just the, the difference in, um, you know, generations of, you know, working and what that means. And, you know, I remember explaining some of this stuff to my, my family and to my parents and telling them, yeah, I'm going to, you know, jump ship and jump into this brand new industry and work for startups. And I remember looking at their faces and they were like, dude, you're crazy. Like you're about to leave, you know, great benefits and a steady paycheck to go into something that you don't know, you know, if it's going to succeed or not. And, you know, I'm thinking like, yeah, I sure am. I'm about to get in there and, and see what I can do because, you know, yeah, it's just boring. It was it was boring for me being a jobber. Um, so, you know, I, I really have found that, you know, being in the canvas industry, it, it is like living in dog years. You know, it's like one year is seven when you're when you're in it you're moving so fast with, with the industry to just keep up with the competition down the street and to keep up with, you know, just as a scientist, keep my brain fresh on what's the newest techniques and methodologies that I can apply to really optimize uh, the equipment that we're using. And how can I be a mentor and train the staff that's coming up, you know, year after year after year, how do you not stay stuck behind, you know, in the mud and keep moving forward. And I, I feel like this industry specifically really offers that for me. It, it gives me that opportunity opportunity to stretch my my intellectual legs and, and really get to uh, gain a lot of knowledge that I wouldn't have gained necessarily just sitting at the bench somewhere else. Um, and then, you know, being in these director level roles, it gives me the opportunity to really um, become an entrepreneur and, and to be able to uh, understand business operations and corporate governance and, and essentially how to be an adult babysitter and put everybody in the right, you know, chess place so that you can make the right strategic moves. I, I really love that about this industry. 
For sure, for sure. And Chris, I definitely want to get to you, you know, but, I, you know, Alicia, I wanted, you know, pick your brain a little bit more and dive a little bit deeper. You know, you mentioned something that's so important, right, where obviously, um, you know, in any sort of scientific field, right, whether you're a doctor, medicine, all these kind of things, or, you know, in the lab, you really have to be on the cutting edge and com- continually uh looking at how you're doing things and how can we get better? How can we optimize? What are the new techniques and everything going on like that? Mm-hmm. And on the same time in the cannabis industry, it's like, you know, like the philosopher Snoop Dogg says, right. The game don't wait, you know, it's just like consistently moving yes. forward all the time. And like the, you know, the industry is just moving at such a pace right now. Right. You talk about four and a half years, you know, in the, in the regulatory industry, that's like a lifetime, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like so crazy how that goes. So talk to me, like, how does that kind of mix together? Like, you know, or do you feel like one is ahead? Like you're having to kind of, you know, with the industry kind of like teach them new things, you know, new ways to do things, you know, that maybe the old heads are like, but this is the way we do shit though. You know what I mean? And trying right. to do that. Or is it kind of the opposite a little bit, you know, where it's like, um, you know, where, where the, the industry is moving so fast, going so fast that you're trying mm-hmm. to keep learning new techniques, you know, on the lab side, the science side to keep up with the new, you know, extraction of the, the kind of the demand that people have on that side. Sure, sure. That thing is the old heads don't even know. So it's Yeah, right. That's, I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah. it's so true. There, there almost isn't any old heads. You yeah, know? it's true, though. It's true. So it's like, you know, I, I have the opportunity before I even got into the industry uh, back in 2016 was when, you know, medical passed here in Florida. And I was working for that contract analytical lab that we were talking about. And I remember, you know, watching the legislation move through the House, through the Senate. And I was like, man, this is about to be a thing. Like, you know, I'm already working for a testing lab. And, you know, here's a new industry that's coming online where we have all the equipment. We've got the infrastructure. We've got the people. If we, you know, if they pass this thing and we decide to apply as a testing lab, then bam, we're going to corner the market in a place that nobody else is going to be able to touch, you know, because we'll already be uh, 50 feet ahead of everybody else. And so, you know, to to speak about like just having to have that power struggle and just, you know, kind of, you know, stay forward thinking. I remember going into the office and talking with the president of the company and I was like, you know, this is something that's on the horizon. And I really think we need to strike now as a testing lab and we can, Mm. you know, get our our name out there and, and really be able to corner this market, evolve with it. Um, as a testing lab. And I remember them looking at me like I was crazy. And they were like, no, you know, we just aren't going to have the capacity to take on new business. Um, You know, we're very conservative and we don't really want to do the the cannabis thing and yada, yada, yada. Fast forward, here we are five years later. Now they're actually a laboratory that's testing cannabis in him. And now they are number five, number six in the game. When you've got, you know, Keicha Labs out here, you've got, um, you know, Canaveral Laboratories out here, you've got Green Scientific, you've got competition. And it's like you have to you have to force, you know, some of these old heads to understand that this is a new industry that is not moving like it was back in the day. Like this is moving at the speed of light. Yep. And if you do not, you know, recognize your opportunity to jump into the market, it's gone. Like it's, it's, too it's late. gone. It's too late. It will be too late. And so it's like, you know, that's the struggle, I think, from a leadership side, from the people with the money, from the investment side. But then when you look at the people like me, the people who are very passionate about, you know, what it is we just do day to day. I love being in the lab. I love extracting. I love, you know, being able to touch the sticky behind oil and figure out how to clean it up off of everything because it does stick to everything. It does. (laughs) And it's like, 
you know, when you talk to those minds, when you talk to the scientists, the botanists, the, the people that are cultivating and extracting, you always hear them saying like, man, did you read that article about the new technology coming out? Did you see what they're using now as you know pressure gauges? Do you see what they're trying to do there with inline winterization? Like you're, you're already, you know, moving ahead of the times and forward thinking, you know, as a subject matter expert. So it's like within, you know, my community of scientists, with my community of, you know, doctors and, and people who are really progressing the industry forward just from a technical standpoint, you don't really have that, that issue. You don't have that back and forth. You have a lot of collaboration, actually. But then when it comes to the people writing the checks, you've got to prove to them and say, hey, man, this is going to put your business ahead. This is going to, you know, it might look like an investment here and now, but look at the ROI. Look at how you're going to be able to capitalize off of this in two weeks, six months, one year. Look at what you're going to be able to do for your brand recognition. And that has been, you know, a bit of a struggle to be able to keep that forward thinking moving. You know, that's just my opinion. No, for sure. For sure. You know, I think, you know, you mentioned a couple of things there, you know, talk about that innovation, about if you hit that mark too late, you're, you're, you're going to miss it. Right. So, you know, I see, you know, we have a couple of really good friends in the industry, really great guests on the show as well. Len May, right. And, uh, and Kristen DeNicola, right. So they're in these two places uh, with endo DNA and crappies feel better where they're kind of like such innovators, Right. That they almost feel like the, the market at this point um, just isn't used to what they're offering. Right. It's not right. They're so used to the way that it is right now. Where it's right. like already four or five years ahead. Right. Is it is it something that, that you're seeing is happening a lot? Right. Or is it like you said, it's still something like convincing the, the people coming to checks is just so difficult. It's such a struggle sometimes that it's just, yeah. kind of, uh, you know, that you really do have to be that, that kind of innovator and kind of wait for the market to catch up to you a little bit. So I, I think there's there's a couple points there. I think it really depends on the market that you're in, number one, uh, because, you know, the market that you're in is going to dictate how that goes. So like, for instance, over here in North America, this market's pretty mature. You know, we've been operating now for more than 20 years, two decades uh, from a pilot program. So there's a lot going on within the states. You know, you've got states that are, you know, hemp based coming online. You've got states that are medical use, states that are adult use. And then now you have states that are like South Dakota that didn't have anything going on and they have bills coming into their legislation. So, uh, you know, the more mature your market is, I think the more commoditized the product is because you've got, you know, the benchmarks of all the other competitors that have their brands on the, on the market right now. You have have, you know, your specific technologies for uh, just your mode of administration. You know, you mainly hear flour, edibles, vape carts. That's about it. Now you see beverages exactly. coming online. You've got tinctures and things that have been around since forever before even prohibition of cannabis and hemp. Yeah. So yeah. those things have become commoditized. So I think that, you know, when it comes to trying to innovate and, you know, gain investment in a mature market, it's difficult. It's difficult because the market is saturated at that point, And most investors are going to be a lot more uh, choosy with their money and what they're doing with it. Now, for innovation, for craft, when you're looking to build something that nobody else has going on, but you, you have a solid business plan, you can look at the financials and be able to turn it and say, you know what, this is what we're going to be able to make year over year. When you're looking to create a niche product or a niche technology, you got to look at a market that's more in its infancy, a market that needs to have that dictation from the companies that are coming in. 
So for instance, you know, Asia's coming online and that's more of an infant market because they're starting to really loosen back their regulations that they came out with that are a lot more tight. You've got the European market that's coming online that's maturing fast. I mean, it's maturing extremely quick. You've got people, you know, cultivating uh, medical marijuana now talking about adult use in a lot of those uh, countries that literally looked at it like it was completely taboo for a while. There's talks about, you know, hemp seed oil now being okay in the UAE. And that's just right there. That is astronomical, you know, with, with all the practices and all the beliefs that are there. So when you're looking at a niche product that you're bringing online, I think you do struggle a lot more um, on the, the mature market side than you do when you have, uh, like, it, it just goes back to just being able to see where is my opportunity? Where is my hole to jump into and be able to corner it where nobody else is? And right now that's becoming a lot more global. For sure, for sure. And like you were saying, it's uh, by the time it's a trend, it's already too late, right? You know, so yeah. kind of being able to hit, you know, like you said, hit that hole. What are you looking for? And, and really, everybody wants to be everything to everybody, it seems like, in the cannabis market, right? Everybody wants to have the tinctures. Everybody wants to have the flowers. Everybody wants to have the cartridges. Everybody wants to have everything, all the whole offering. When it's like, how can you really innovate like that when you're just like trying to be everything? You can't. You can't scale like that. You have to really yeah. dig deep on one thing, right? Right. And then see, you know, you're, you're bringing up a great point there too, is just talking about the products themselves. Everything about the cannabis and hemp market is cornered on two cannabinoids right now, two cannabinoids, you've got THC and you've got CBD. And that's been the case for decades. And it's like, you know, you're, you're really closing off a lot of the opportunity there because the plant has so many benefits in all of the flavonoids, the terpenoids, and the cannabinoids. There's over 240-something cannabinoids in the plant, but we've only been able to quantify as many as 11, 16, 25, if you're doing some really great and deep research. Uh, specific and that goes to back to just profits being the pressure, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Because they don't, they don't yeah. have time to research and develop yeah. whenever you're trying to push a product. Absolutely. Because yeah, your true R&D lab is going to just be bleeding money, you know? So if you're talking to them about, well, CB, let's talk about CBG, you know, or in any of the other ones, you know, which is kind of like the mother of them all. I don't even really know if you should call that a cannabinoid or if oh, you I should know. call it mama. I don't know. <laughs> call it mommy for that, you know, but, you know, anything else, you know, it, companies don't have the time or the money to bleed like that. And, and it's the safe thing to do. Just to, like I told Rena, you know, it's like people walk through the snack aisle and just say, Ooh, let's infuse that. Oh, let's infuse some of those. Oh, let's get our own little THC bread line going. Yeah, it's like, get out the snack aisle, man. Mm -hmm. You know, get some scientists yeah. and actually start some research and development. No, and do something different, something new. Yeah. For sure. And like you said, there's no, the, the, the funding isn't there, right? Because traditionally, you know, research uh, is conducted by pharmaceutical companies or they're conducted right. in schools. Right. And, and those kind of places at this point are, you know, pharmaceuticals are doing their thing, but they're doing private kind of research. Right. But right. The, and the schools that can do it because they need funding. And, and, you know, since it's uh, federally illegal, obviously still um, they, they're super hampered, you know, and uh, you know, now changing gears a little bit, you know, Christopher, I would love to hear as well, you know, your background, kind of what you got going on. Let's hear about your story and uh, how you got here as well with Victus and of course with Alicia. Well, my, my background with cannabis period is just as really started as a consumer when I was really young and I knew some people moving some five gallon buckets around in the woods, you know, doing some things maybe they shouldn't have been doing. Where are you from originally? I'm uh, from Jacksonville, Florida. 
Oh, damn. So that cool, cool, cool. So sorry to cut you off. Keep going. No, no, you're good. You're good. Um, you know, yeah. So, you know, I, my relationship in the cannabis industry, quote unquote, was just as a, as a consumer um, and, you know, knowing people who had plants and just seeing them do what they do, learning from that. Uh, my grandma had an extremely green thumb. She taught me how to grow anything from a crepe myrtle to a tomato plant, X, Y, Z. Uh, when I was real young, even before the age of 18, I was trying to grow my own plants out of a Wendy's, you know, 32 ounce cup. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, always trying to figure out new ways uh, to consume it. You know, we would make our own devices or try to see with the hot knives, as they said, or, you know, when, when a vaporizer came around, we would try to see what that was about. And so really quickly, we all turned into um, makeshift scientists. None of us knew anything about science. We were probably just endangering ourselves more than I anything. I call you stoner scientists. Yeah, the stoner <laughs> scientists, you know. And uh, that, that really just puts people at danger a lot, you know. And, and from what we've seen in the actual cannabis industry, so sometimes it's not very, very different. You know, mm -hmm. companies out here practicing stoner science, uh, chasing a lab around that will give them a good read on their numbers, on their cannabinoids, on their potency. That's a whole other racket. Oh yeah. Heavy metals. Independent testing, lab testing, yes. bullshit. Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean? It's a joke. Like, let's, let's see some double blind, you know what I mean? Then maybe we'll get, in, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. and, um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's how I kind of got started there. And um, Alicia was never really with the program. You know, tried to get me to quit smoking a million really? times. Really? Oh, yeah. oh, God, yeah. Yeah, and at that <laughs> time, was this? <laughs> oh, oh, man, like this 10, one. 11 years ago. Yeah, oh. we, we've been together for 10, 11 years, and that was something where I literally used to be, I, I would say I was probably like Sanjay Gupta, where I thought I knew everything there was to know about weed, but I didn't know anything about weed, and I just classified everybody. I was like, if you're smoking, you're losing brain cells. You're a loser. Don't do yeah. that. You don't need Which to Which might that. not really be, you know, too false. I mean, let's be fair, okay? The, the, the soft tissues of your body do not like smoke. I don't care what kind of smoke it is. That's you know, true. The, the soft tissues of your body don't like it. They might like what's in it, mm -hmm. but... Uh, the smoke just really ain't good for you. The, but don't sell yourself linings. short, babe. Like you, you only covered like your cultivation and uh, you know, your love for the canvas industry. Tell them about like what you do, like what you did before, you know, we started jumping all over the globe. Well, okay. So when, when Alicia basically kind of just started getting stepped on professionally all the time, um, um, I was working on helicopters on a military base and fixed wing aircraft, uh, working with engineers and creating uh, parts for the aircrafts. Um, I worked with the EPA as a hazmat handler on there. And I was also a, a abatement, uh, asbestos abatement supervisor. And, and I wore a lot of hats around there. I got around a lot. I, I became very good at networking, writing resumes and interviewing. Um, that was kind of like my bread and butter. Cause you know, you can actually, sell that to people. You can sell them on how to write a resume, coach them on how to interview, especially during uh, those type of interviews. It's far different than anything you've ever done in your life. It can be extremely uh, intimidating. Um, and, and it taught me a lot. And one day I also just kind of felt like I was being stepped on, even though I had some of the highest clearance you can have around here. Um, I just felt like it wasn't me. Like you said, you know, I'm not fulfilling my, my passion. First of all, I wasn't fulfilling my purpose. I definitely knew that. 
And, and so I switched gears and I just started with Alicia. You know, I told her, look, you've got an opportunity here to go build a cannabis lab from the ground up. You definitely need to do that. She said, I don't know anything about cannabis. I'll try to tell her, I do. <laughs> I know lots about it. And uh, with us as a team, you know, with, with all of your experience as project manager and with extractions and working in a lab, all of that is going to translate into, the, into this new career. I can help you read blueprints. I can, I can help you uh, manage the contractors. I know how they talk. I've worked with contractors in Florida since I was 16. I know what they do and don't do. I know what makes them move and what makes them sit down. So um, we, just, we just started this team and we didn't exactly start Victus on paper at that time, but that's absolutely when it started. Um, I kind of oh, became so the coach from the house and yeah. she would go to work and make the plays. You know, I was homeschooling the kids and then I would go off and do some other uh, projects on the side. And um, we did that until, you know, we just basically started bouncing around. And I've been here doing uh, consulting jobs uh, over the phone, over the computer, helping people with cultivation, helping them understand like the microbiological wars that go on inside of a room full of plants, um, all of that good stuff. And now she's, she's the budding scientist brilliant and um i'm kind of taking the back seat into trying to guide where victus is going like for right now we're here with you um yeah. we were speaking to a couple other people on podcast uh creating articles and magazines just really trying to build out the reputation of scientifically how we can help cannabis companies dominate dominate in their own little bubble as a company and also dominate their competition within uh, from state to state from city to city um and and that's really where i've been focusing um and yeah, now where we're going true. with it is taking us overseas you know uh, last march we spoke in the very first cannabis conference in uh, luxembourg it was okay oh, it nice. to be a, yeah it, it proved to be a pretty cool experience we met some good people and then right after that, you know, we had some investors that were um, pretty excited about meeting us. And, and likewise, we were excited about meeting them as well, because, you know, we've got a full business plan drawn up at this point. Uh, Victus was not really designed to be a consulting company necessarily. I mean, it was, but not necessarily. It was also supposed to be something bigger and it is going to be something bigger one day. Uh, but then COVID hit. You know, literally, as we're in Luxembourg, they're shutting yep. down Italy. Wow. You know, they're oh, shutting man. Like down. We, we were in Milan. It was like oh, in Italy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was yeah. crazy. Yeah, they're shutting it all down as we're there. So then we get back in the States and silence, radio silence. Are you there? No, nobody's there. And then slowly in the past three months, people have circled back. You know, and they, they want to talk more and they want to get back into interest of this and that. And then... You know, you also have the investors that are just trying to use the cannabis industry as a uh, slot machine. You know, yeah. they, they want to dump their money into the MSOs that, that, that are already kind of climbing towards, you know, the billion dollar mark so they can cash out before they have to sell off all of their assets that they bought too much of. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. No, I love I love like hearing him go back because, you know, Maynard, he's right. We definitely incorporated last January 2020, but Victus absolutely started 
that day in the living room when I was just, you know, looking at him like, okay, you're about to quit your job. And I hate my job. Like, what are we going to do? And I remember sitting there, you know, Indian style, just looking at each other, just coming up with ideas and writing it down and, and really just becoming the team. And when he tells you that, like he was my coach, he absolutely was coaching me on a lot of stuff, man. Like it was, it was hard for me to just wrap my brain around all this stuff that I did not know. And when I tell you, like I worked 24 seven, the first two years, like I would go home, I'd be researching, reading white papers, looking at different extraction videos and technology coming out, going to trade shows. I was uh, bouncing ideas off of him on, you know, He's he's so right. You know, when you're dealing with a build out, when you're dealing with contractors, it's primarily men that you're dealing with. And, you know, you can either walk in there like, you know, the woman who everybody respects and they're like, wow, we really like her. She can relate to us on our level. Or you walk in there like a bitch and you're just like, yeah, this is what I need done. And you need to do it because I'm paying you. And he helped me navigate how to not be that person because that's not who I am anyway. And I I mean, I was able to. just really manage, you know, those people uh, moving forward on a project and and how to do everything that I needed them to do without being disrespectful with, uh, you know, understanding where they're coming from. I had a guy, Maynard, I kid you not, man, he was so like 1980s metal, just super hard. He was the only person in Jacksonville that could solder copper for me. And I needed these, you know, one inch lines for my exhaust on my, my CO2 extractor. Homeboy pulls up in his truck He's like blowing smoke out the back, you know, just like getting completely blazed. And I'm looking at him like, uh, yo, you're going to be all right because you're going to have like a, a full on torch and everything up there, you know, soldering this copper. And he's like, don't you worry about it, ma'am. I'll be here doing this. I got yeah. this. And I'm like, hell yeah, you do. I'm better when I'm high, right? You know, right. this is what I do every day. What are you talking about? This is what I do. What do you yeah. But it was, I don't even know like, how to fucking do this shit sober, right? I mean, so. I'm telling you, man, like it was so interesting, <laughs> the, the personalities that you meet within this industry and just being able to like embrace that for people. It, it gives you that level of respect, you know, that you weren't even looking for. Like, I'm just trying to be a human being to the man. Like, I'm worried. Are you going to be all right? And then I trust that he is all right because he says he is. And then he gets the job done. But no, am I condoning you get high and do your job at work? No, I no. do that on after hours. But no. in, in this specific case, he was do the only later. person in the city that could do it for me. <laughs> it's definitely a, a weird industry, right? In that regard. But, you know, you mentioned something else, right? You know, I think, you know, obviously being a, a leader is, is one thing. Being a woman leader is a whole nother thing. Being a black woman leader is a whole nother thing, right? You know, and being, you know, we're talking about, uh, the best thing is to command respect, not to demand respect, right? But mm-hmm. at the same time, we have a huge, huge, huge issue, obviously, you know, looking at some of the numbers, right? Uh, only 17% of, uh, of companies have women in either director or C-suite role, mm-hmm. right? And it's even worse for Black and Latinx, you know, with 4% hovering around there. It's just like abysmal, you know yeah. what I mean? So like, talk to me about that. I mean, you, you know, I think it's still... Uh, not preliminary anymore, but, you know, still kind of uh, in the earlier stages. So, but you were just named, right, Chief Scientific Officer. Uh, we mentioned a little bit in the UK. So talk to me the importance of this, right? I mean, we talk about this, uh, you know, it, it comes up a lot in the, in the podcast. If you've heard any, epi- you know, any episodes, you know, this is one of my passion topics. I know it is for you too, obviously, you know. So talk to me about the importance of, of that. It is, you know, it, it's like for me, Uh, I I like to think of myself as a person, you know, I'm just I'm just a woman who's, you know, trying to work hard to attain, you know, whatever it is professionally or personally in my life. 
And it hasn't been until I would say it was pre-cannabis. It was the role that I took on right before cannabis when I was working for that contract analytical lab where I started to really uh, hone in on the experiences as a woman in management. Like I'm not even at director or executive leadership just yet. I'm just a manager. And being gaslighted when I asked for a promotion, you know, after, you know, running the company for a year while one of the owners was, had fallen sick, you know, that was something that I did voluntarily on my own. And, you know, to not get recognized for that later on was just such a stab, you know, it, it hurt really bad. And then when I do, you know, come up for promotion, when I do all of the research and the benchmarking to know, you know, what are some of the average salaries in the area for this role and uh, what should I be looking for and, and how do I undercut that for, you know, a small family owned business. When I do that and I bring it to your attention and you laugh at me and patronize me and there's this, this hostility about, you know, the question even being on the table, it's just, it was such an eye opener for me at the time. Like it was such an eye opener where I'm just kind of like, oh my God, like it doesn't matter how hard I work. It doesn't matter what it is that I'm, I'm bringing to the table. These people are, are only seeing me on the outside. They're only seeing the fact that I'm a female coming to them asking for more money. They're seeing, you know, that I'm, I'm brown and I don't look like them and I'm coming to them asking for more money. And so that was really the driving force of kind of talking to Chris about it and was like, you know, there's there's got to be something different. And I'm thinking coming into cannabis, it would have been different. You know, the cannabis culture is very inclusive of people. Look at the 70s and the 80s, you know, with uh, the, the movements and everything like that with botanical based uh, medicines and therapies and things like that. It was very inclusive of people. And, you know, I get into the cannabis industry super optimistic, thinking that it's going to be, you know, fantastic. And lo and behold, same boys club at the top, you know, same type of mentality, uh, same sexism that I'm, uh, you know, experiencing, same discrimination that I'm experiencing. And it's like, you know, I've got to play fastball a lot harder than anybody else, you know, that's sitting in that same boardroom. So I, I definitely think that we have huge issues in, in social equity across the board in this industry, you know, from staffing, from investment opportunity, from um, just being able to, you know, farm, having farmland, you know, as a minority, there's so many, you know, sectors and pieces, you know, you mentioned the 17% of companies that are owned by women and the 4% being black out of that 4%, about 80% of the black people are men. And that's not black women. And then on top of that, you know, that 4% is encompassing a lot of the retail side. It's not encompassing your cultivators and your, your processors like me, your scientists. It's, it's not. It's just, you know, it's really difficult to, to see that happening and for people to, you know, put up these, these signs that say, oh, we're so equitable here at this firm. And, and we include everybody and all people because we have a Latino on our marketing and it's wonderful. But then you actually go through the doors of that company and there is no one of color. There's no type of diversity and backgrounds, like just talking about backgrounds and like, you know, they're being scientists, they're being cultivators who are a botanist and horticulturalists, be, you know, engineers, having uh, physicists, having people who are really great marketing and, and social media strategy. Like you don't have diversity in these companies. It's literally just a whole bunch of businesses that are copying the others. Like you were saying earlier about, you know, just that, that niche versus the commoditized product and in, in marketplace. That's, that's how it's been, you know, kind of cultivated. And I'm really happy to see, you know, now in 2021 that there's 
quite a few associations that are coming online now that are specifically, um, you know, trying to raise awareness for diversity and inclusion in the cannabis space. You know, you've got uh, celebrities now like uh, Jay-Z with his line of products and, and his social equity initiative where he's, you know, uh, setting aside a fund specifically to, you know, fund minority owned businesses and cannabis. So you do have some movement there, but I, I still think that the platform is is very, very one-sided and we, we have to continue, you know, things like we're doing today and raising the awareness of what really goes on inside these canvas companies and how, you know, money and investment is allocated. It's not really allocated based on what your business plan says or your track record. It's allocated on, you know, do I know this person? Is he, yeah. you know, Jimmy's uh, cousin? Is yeah. that Jimmy's little brother? And that's mm -hmm. just how it's been. And it's, it's really disgusting, honestly. And a part of that really speaks to the, to the overall, uh, demographic disparity in the country. I mean, you know, the, I would say that the the white majority is the overbearing majority. It's almost three quarters of the entire population. Yep. So, of course, whenever you get into the business side of things, it's gonna it's gonna have roughly the, the same amount. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's gonna mirror it. But but what 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 I think some people need to know about the conversation specifically in the cannabis side is that dude it's it's at least from what we can see of the data that is provided it's at least four to one arrest ratio for cannabis possession right yeah. for african americans or latinos or other mm -hmm. versus white people in the united states so and, what a and coincidence is, oh my gosh how is that <laughs> what the fuck dude it's just... right 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 so 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 the non-white population is like 17 to 20 percent, let's say. And if my numbers are off, that's cool. You can do your Googling. Um, but the, the point is, if it's that small of a percentage of the overall population. You can't tell me that four to one ratio has a bag of weed in their pocket. I'm sorry. Not where I'm from. <laughs> that's that's not how that works. There's a systemic issue that's going on. There's a systemic problem that's happening to where the four people being arrested versus the one have something in common. And it's the fact that they're not white. Yeah. And that, that it don't, it doesn't take a genius to see that, but it, it, it definitely speaks to uh, the diversity issues inside, inside the industry, because it, it, you know, you got four to one sitting in jail for having a bag of weed, but you got 100% of all the company owners making millions of dollars doing probably a hundred X times uh, the same thing. That's not considered a crime for them because of some pen on a paper. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of people would argue, well, that's the way it works. This is the world we live in. Well, yeah, you're, you're, you're kind of a punk. Honestly, you're a punk. Well, people say that. it's not even like that. People say there's no such thing as systemic racism. There's such things, right. right? That this isn't. I mean, that's just coincidence. I mean, you're breaking. And those people off, aren't close enough right? to the you know, problem. Like people are just. Yeah, exactly. People are like, yeah. well, you know, you're just so happen to, you know, you're breaking the law. Don't break the law. You won't get arrested. You know. Yeah. Like, no, you know? it doesn't work like that. You know. The and and that to a certain. Yes. Sure. Sure. That, that is true. Sure. It's true. If you don't want to get in trouble, don't break the law. But then again, you broke the law going to work this way, Jim, you know, you're going 80 miles an hour in the six or you get, or you get, or you break the law, you go into jail, you go, you go to court and they throw out the case. Cause they're like, Oh, he's a good guy. You know, he's a good boy. Right. We don't want to ruin his future. You know what right. I mean? Like he has a big, future exactly. 
you know. But a lot of people that have the idea that it's not a systemic problem, they're not even close enough to it. You know, they look down the street in their suburb and they say, you see, that's a non-white guy. And he has a nice truck. He has a nice job. He lives in the same neighborhood as me. We all have the same opportunities. He can go to school like I do, blah, 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 blah. But they don't even understand like the wealth gap. They don't understand that whenever your great grandpa, great grandpa, whoever it was, had the ability to go to a college right down the street, an African-American or a Latino person, they didn't have the same availability to do that. Because even if there was a college down the street and if he just so happened to be in an area where they did allow um, African-Americans or Latino, et cetera, to go to the college, the people weren't going to accept him there. Mm hmm. He wasn't allowed in there. Maybe it was available to him, but it wasn't. He's not allowed in there. Yeah, I'm not going to let him go. And so, by the time that family member actually gets the ability to go to college, first of all, they're probably going to have to relocate, mm -hmm. which is going to set them back a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then this guy is about five generations in as a privilege unfortunately, on the backs of uh, slaves and. Uh, through the propagation of genocide, uh -huh. you know, and now five generations later, this other group of people, now they can finally go to college. Yeah. And, and, and this, and this, this skips right over a lot of people who will say there's no such thing as systemic racism. There's no such thing as a systemic problem. And if there was, that was so long ago and you can't go back to that. Mm -hmm. Why can't we go back to that? Y'all are talking about defending Confederate statues. <laughs> Half of y'all don't even really understand like what, what, what type of an insult that is. So, so anyway, we get back to the cannabis part, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, so that's, yeah, the, that's part of our history. How can we, but you want to deny one part of the history, but you want right. to get the yes. other part of history going, you know what right. I mean? No, it's not offensive. It's part of history. You can't erase history. So then stop fucking erasing history. Yeah. Exactly. Why, is, why do the history books say this shit and doesn't right. say this shit? Quit acting like it's not a privilege to be white in this country just because it offends you. Right. Punk. I mean, come I, I mean, on. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm grateful, right? I'm a Chicano, right? And I, you know, but I had to acknowledge my own privilege, right? You know, even Thank whatever you. else, you know, I mean, I have a lot of privilege. I grew up in a certain neighborhood, you know, yep. grew up in Calabasas. My parents worked hard and did their shit and whatever else. And, you know, and I got a lot of privilege from that. I got away with a lot of shit that if I was the same Maynard, you know, my mom went to Garfield High School in, in, in South L.A. And, you know, and mm -hmm. if that was me there, I would have fucking been in the system there. You know what I mean? But since yep. I'm in Calabasas and I'm in the back of a cop car and I'm saying, come on, man, I've been arrested before. I fucking hear my grades. I'm, I'm going to med school and this and that. They're like, all right. You know, like that's not yeah. privilege. You know what I mean? Three, two, one, two, ignition, lift off. We at Calican are passionate about cannabis and CBD marketing, branding, SEO content, and web design. If you are a cannabis owner and you know you need an uptick in business or an upgrade in the way your customers perceive you, come check us out at calican.com and schedule a time to speak with us today. Oh, it's, no, big it's, it's so privilege. true, Maynard. Like I, you know, Chris and I talk about this topic a lot because uh, like yourself, you know, my family, we grew up, I grew up in a country club. You know, I grew up where I was going to private schools and I had, you know, all sorts of resources at my fingertips to be successful and, and to be a chemist today. Um, you know, but that didn't make my life easy. 
you know, at all. Like we, when we moved here to Florida, I'm actually originally from Oakland, from uh, Oakland, California. And when we moved here, it was in the mid nineties in a suburb outside of Jacksonville. So it was 97 to 98% white where I lived. And I, you know, experienced a lot of different, you know, backlash, you know, racial things, racial slurs against me in school, in my own neighborhood, and all these different things. And I and I always attribute, you know, God putting this bubble of safety around me to not get hype, to not get myself into a position to where, you know, like you said, I could be locked down and I could be, you know, knocked up or pregnant or on drugs or, or anything else that plagues underserved communities. But I grew up with privilege, you know, and it, it's it for me, I look at it and I'm like, man, it's it's wrong. You know, it's it's oppressive. It's oppressive to a lot of people in this country that are just trying to make it, you know, hundred percent, hundred percent. Now, you know, now, you know, switching gears a little bit, you know, as, as a, you know, chief scientific officer, right. But you're going all the way across the UK. Was that because there wasn't anything here that was going on or that was just oh, no. that arose or what was going on? What, what was that behind that decision? You know, there's a uh, lot going on here. <laughs> there's there's a lot going on here, like he said. You know, there's um, a lot going on just specifically in the industry that has really turned me off. Um, we, I mean, I had plenty of um, interviews. I had offers on the table at the chief level here in in Massachusetts. There was something going on in Texas. You know, I was talking with some folks down in Miami. Um, so there's definitely opportunity for me here. But I think what really kind of uh, turn me off has been the last few experiences that we've had uh, as a family in this industry um, that don't get talked about. You know, we've been victim of companies misrepresenting um, opportunities specifically to me, lying specifically to me of what role I'm going to hold, where that location of the facility will even be. And then the rug pulled out from under your feet and yep. you're looking, you're looking up and your family of four is living in a, a one bedroom hotel room. And you're waiting to see like, am I going to land in Orlando? Am I going to be in St. Augustine? Am I going to be back in Jacksonville? I have a house that I need to you know, take care of what's going on there. Like we've been victim of that. We've been victim of, you know, the whole bait and switch where a company will literally bait you because they need that diversity quota filled or they need something that, you know, nobody in their local neighborhood can do for them. And they pull you up there and you, you know, you get rid of your house based on this dream, based on this lie that you're going to have longevity within this company. You, um, you know, get rid of a lot of the resources that you would have had if, you know, there's a, 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 a plug that's pulled from you. And we've been victim of literally losing everything for a cannabis company. Literally. But it's been kind of fun though. I got to say, you know, yeah. I, I really, you know, I can't stand the people that have been involved in it and that's okay. They have really, really, really slid by because, you know, as, as a lot of times, whenever Alicia is talking about it and whenever I jump in to talk about it, it might, it might even sound like, we're just complaining about it a lot mm -hmm. now. Nah, I mean, shit, nah. dude, that's fucking. We just want to put people on up, game. You're allowed to and honestly, the people, shit, yeah, the yeah. people who are a part of it are really lucky. The names haven't come out of my mouth yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. They're real lucky because I mean, you know, it's funny. People think that, you know, local news is the way somebody can get a story out. I don't think so. Nah, yeah. son. We, you know, we, yeah. we got podcasts, we've got articles, we're working on a book. There's a lot of things. Working on happening. a hashtag. Yeah, working <laughs> on hashtag things that are still going to be happening. And a lot, honestly, these cats are real lucky that we haven't said their names yet, but that's yeah. because our professionalism shines through in a way. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to get a reputation of doing that. That's not right. what we're about. Absolutely. We're about 
uh, spreading awareness, information, and trying to put people on game as far as maybe something you didn't know about like systemic racism or diversity and inclusion and equality and how it's uh, an illusion, first of all, and also about, you know, just um, some of the nasty practices that are in the cannabis industry. Uh, I remember like a year ago, I went on to Alicia's um, uh, LinkedIn. Let me pull it up real quick while I'm talking. And I kind of started managing her LinkedIn. She had like 253 followers. And a lot of times people, you know, would think that it's like Alicia posting on her LinkedIn. (laughs) But it's been me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It's all right. Sometimes when you're talking to me, you're talking to Tove too. You know, see, (laughs) no, but hey. But Remember Chris talking. when we we double booked you guys? I was like, she's like, oh, he'd be great. And I was like, we just booked them together. And like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I was like, bro, it's me. Uh, I just look different in every picture, which is true. I really do. So I kind of wasn't holding it against anybody. You know, I really, really do. So, so one of the things that actually got a lot of attention and started to kind of skyrocket her following up on the LinkedIn was this little post that I that I put out there it says a few don't items for the cannabis industry, and I'll just read it real quick. Don't give away free tickets to the show by unknowingly consulting during an interview. That happens. People will pull you in for an interview and they'll start asking you very specific questions. And um, really, they're just consulting with you and you might not know it. You're giving up free tickets to the show and they have no intention in hiring you at all. Second. How do you prevent it? Don't about that? Sorry a- to cut you off. How do you like when somebody's like really trying to interview or trying to, you know, see if you're a good fit? Right. And you want to give value. Right. How do you actually like give value, giving a nice teaser without actually like giving away the secret sauce? You know what I mean? Like what's. what's- oh, I'm like the master of that now. Um, it's it's really it's just like in science when you're going through an audit for compliance. You don't want to keep changing up your SOPs every five minutes, every time you change a parameter on your extractor. If you went from 1800 PSI to 1759 that day. So what I do is I give them a range. I say that this uh, piece of equipment needs to be operated within 1600 PSI to 1800 PSI. That means that I'm telling the people that I I know what I'm talking about, but I'm also not giving you specifics to where you can just take this conversation and run with it without me because you're going to need me to tell you where that sweet spot is in between that range. Like that's the best way that I can explain it is just your answer should be high level. And if they're asking you for specific, you know, answers to things that you just don't feel comfortable about, don't be afraid to put people on blast and say, Hey man, that sounds like consulting. And if you'd like to consult with me, I have an hourly fee. And a lot of the time that'll run people off to where they're like, Oh, that was unprofessional. It's like, no, it wasn't unprofessional. It just showed me who you were right here at the jump before I even got in bed with you. Them showing them saying that was unprofessional. The whole world's a mirror, right? Yeah. You know what I mean, so when we say something about someone else, we're actually talking about ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. So people, they say, well, that was unprofessional because they were acting unprofessional and they knew what the fuck they were doing and they got caught. You know, when you catch exactly. somebody, like, how dare you accuse yes. me? Yes. What? It's yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, dude. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Okay. And then, so that's so, good shit. So, Chris, number two. Yeah, yeah. Let's go to another don't real quick. Uh, don't take a job beneath the chief level without an employment contract. If you're going to be building the company from scratch and then managing all aspects of the operation thereafter, yes. I swear to you, this yes. is, it's like, it's like these dudes have a playbook somewhere where they all have like a secret version of clubhouse where they all get on Jack there and they playbook, talk about Jack like, playbook. Mm-hmm. yeah, bro. It's like, they get on there and they talk about how did you get your lab built out for like, you know, under budget, man. 
Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they all get together and they all tell each other, well, I'll tell you what you do. You hire a scientist who knows how to do it and get it all done. You get them to write all the SOPs. You get them to manage it all, put people in place. And then you can cut them at that high salary mm-hmm. and charge a button pusher to come in and just take over. Yep. Wow. What they're doing. I swear to God, we would read, we would read the job descriptions, right? Yep. And it's like a job description of, of a, of a chief operations officer, you know? Definitely is. Oh, Absolutely. you're talking specifically about that one that was director of science and research. It was, oh my God, oh, Maynard. God. It was literally like the whole job description for director of science and research, which reports to the COO, is going to build out the facility. Um, it's going to vet and source all the equipment and place all the equipment, hire and train all the staff, develop all the SOPs, develop all the cultivation SOPs, go through every single audit to achieve GMP compliance. Then they're going to do this. Then they're going to do that. Business Literally, then, build yes. the business. And then I asked them, I asked them on the interview, see, this is that, that you got to be yourself, man. You got to be, you know, not afraid to just say what needs to be said. And I yeah. asked the guy that was interviewing me who was the COO. I said, wow, this is a very thorough and inclusive uh, job description. And they're like, yeah, it is. And I'm like, yeah. So if I'm doing all of this, what are you going to be doing? Yeah. Silence. Yep. Yep. Silence for two minutes. Taking the credit, baby. What are you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And yeah. then when you ask for equity, then when you say, okay, I will do all of these things for you. I will build this company for you and unlock the door to millions and millions of dollars in revenue. I will do it. I just want a little piece that will buy me into the success of this company. And almost every single person has, you know, they have the response of, well, equity is not on the table. Or they'll have the response, the investors aren't willing to do that because, you know, growing up as billionaires, people have just been taking from them. (laughs) That's been my favorite one. Taking from them. It's like, I'm giving to them. I'm giving to them. And then another one, another one. Sad sad life, man. It's sad existence. It's sad. Another one is, um, you know, well, would you be willing to give pieces of your company to a stranger that you don't know? It's like, well, yes, I would be willing to give pieces of my company to a stranger that I know is going to come on board and actually create a company and for me. Build so you yeah, don't and have build it. Yeah. Build a co- would you have somebody you don't know build my entire company for me? You know, I mean, Word. I mean, that's the same question. Yeah. So, so real quick, shout out to the guys in the UK for just straight up offering Alicia equity right up. Right front out the gate. Without game. even no. being questioned about At it. All. Shout out to those guys. Yes. Oh, a round of applause. Yes. Because they get sure. it. Apparently they get it. Um, so that, that's and that it. is one of the driving forces of why we decided to jump the pond. You know, that's what I didn't have to be in this tug of war battle with interviewing or with, you know, negotiating a contract. It was already in place that they wanted to give equity to a C-level officer. They wanted to give a, a healthy salary to someone that's coming on to expand their company to where they want it to be globally. And there wasn't a fight with, you know, what is it going to take to get someone like me over there as a family? I've had people literally give me an offer that's across country and then question why would I bring my family with me to relocate? The dude really said, hey, you know, you're going to get us up and running a GMP for our um, extraction facility within three months. Are you sure you can do that? You know, this and this and this. And of course, she's like, yeah, yeah, Chris, do you think I can do this? I'm like, of course you can do it, man. And anything you need, you know, I'm at home. You just tap my shoulder and I can help you from there. Whatever we got to do, we'll get it done. The guy says, oh, so you're bringing your whole family? 
Yes. But that's a part of that's a part of remembering you're interviewing the company more than they're interviewing you. And if that's not the case, you're doing it wrong. That's how it is with our clients, with our prospects. Right. Yes. They think that they're interviewing us. We're, we're interviewing them. Do I even want to work with you? Do I want to work with you in the next few years? Yes. You no. Know, um, are, are you, we have a strict no asshole policy, you know, yes. and been working out very well for us. So I got on the phone, Amen. I got on the phone with, with assholes and they got a lot of money. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Have fun I, with I it. Asking for proposals, right. asking for agreements and it's, it's not coming. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. We have turned down two pretty big, pretty big oh, yeah. money projects because of the same thing. It's like, I just yeah. don't want to deal with you, especially with, with you know, with my attitude. I, I got together, you're going to have my number and we're going to be chatting every day and we're going yeah. to talk to you every day. I want to talk to cool people every day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to compromise my good attitude. No. Nothing. Yeah. Those kind of people, it's, they just like, suck energy anyways. Right. I mean, it's more, it's not worth it, you know, in the long yep. term. You know, so it's just so funny. Right. And then, like you guys said, right, they want discounts on everything. They want everything for free anyway. So it's not they come with the yeah. with the with the, you know, with the briefcase full of money. But they're like, OK, and here's a little one for you. You know what I mean? Right. They're like, but actually, you know, could I get it for this, though? Or can we blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So right. like, this is no. You know, Chris, I want to segue into that piece because we are talking about diversity and inclusion. And a lot of the time we do talk about what's, you know, obvious what's what's going on in the industry. But uh, like he said, there was a company um, that, you know, hit us up Victus and wanted to um, consult with us on their uh, large scale vertically integrated project. And this was going to be a a really lucrative project for us. I mean, definitely six figures long term over a few years. And, you know, something that I, I started to notice as we started to talk to these guys, uh, one, they reached out because uh, they were two black guys who had one licenses and they literally were just like, you know, um, yeah, we want to work with you guys because we want to um, really include in our business plan, working with vendors of color, working with consultants of color and, and all these things. So I was like, wow, this is great. This is wonderful. You know, I do want to work with a company that wants to include everybody. But then, you know, it, it starts to get into a place of where, you know, let's let's see who your team is. Do you have any you know bios on all the people that work in your team and and all these different things? And I sent that over. And most of our team was comprised of people that were non of color. They were white. And I started to get the pushback of working with our firm because we had too many white people or because my business partner was white. So it was like this reverse diversity and inclusion going on to where they were like, no, 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 there's enough companies that that work with white people. We want to just work with you. And I was like, you know, that's not how this works. Like we're a team, we're a partnership. If you don't like the blue eyes on my husband, then I'm sorry, you got to go and turn around and go look somewhere else because that's not how we operate, period. Like we're not on either end of the spectrum. We are looking for true social inclusion all around. Like it's it's shocking some of the things that are out there. I mean, you've got companies that are taking advantage of the social equity clauses to get licenses based on either paying somebody that's black to put them on the application, yeah. or they're already coming from an affluent background and they're just using the fact that they're of color to skip the line. And you have people like us 
who we do have the diversity inclusion piece, but we don't have, you know, the capital to be able to just jump into a vertically integrated. Right. Right. And again, for the listeners, what makes this so imperative to understand why we're talking about this stuff on, on a cannabis based podcast is because of the disparity of numbers. When you're talking about arrest records, when you're talking about the war on drugs versus the kind of people that are making the money doing something a hundred times greater than what those guys did who are sitting in the jail cell. That's why it matters to have this conversation. It's not your average, you know, well, down there at the office supply building, there's only one non-white person working. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that sucks too, but there's not a bunch of black people out here getting arrested for carrying around notebooks in their pockets. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, that's, that's, it, 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 there's this big, you know, it, it's like the, the image of the three circles intersecting. And then there's that middle piece that they all have in common. You, you, you got to do a little more. So uh, like, like for example, you know, and, and before everybody starts talking about, you know, if you don't break the law, you won't get in trouble. You know, like you said, Maynard, um, first of all, in 1619, you could actually use uh, a hemp cannabis as legal tender. Did you know that? Mm. In Virginia and Pennsylvania and Maryland, you could use it as tender. You could pay your taxes with it in some areas. You know, it, you, you would you would even be forced to grow it sometimes because well, you it, didn't it, have good old uh, Benjamins back then. Yeah, you could just. You could just pay with the cannabis, man. And so it uh, it became a really popular ingredient in medicinal products that was sold open to the public in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. But then the programming of cannabis hate started in around 1910 because that's whenever the Mexican Revolution happened. And so they started demonizing the cannabis. And you can go look back at all the paraphernalia that happened, because really it was sort of like a, a fear of the Mexicans. Mm-hmm. And I mean, no, we don't have that problem today, do we? No, yeah, we do. <laughs> and so and, and it really started to come around that time. And then in 19, like 51 to 1956, you started seeing the stricter sentencing laws which really started being enacted like uh, the Narcotics Control Act of 1956 or the Boggs Act of 1952. Those set mandatory sentences for drug-related offenses, including marijuana. And if you go back and look at those, the disparity of the arrests back then, you could almost say this is like an extension of the Jim Crow laws. You know, you could really kind of like start to see a, see a relationship there of, of all these of all these these nasty subsidizing, you know, horrid atrocities with laws now and just calling it different things. And then you got 1989, which started the war on drugs all the way up until 2019, uh, the 169. Uh, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, before then, though, right? I mean, the whole yeah. 80s was uh, was the war on drugs, right? I mean, maybe that was just official. But like, I feel like uh, Reagan, I mean, he was like the master, bro, of incarcerating black people. That was like, he was like, that was uh, that was what he was all about, you know. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sad. Because I don't know if anybody know. sold more drugs than Ronald Reagan either, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's sad. You know, what Chris talking about the industry. It, it it's funny when you actually look back in the history. You know, back in the 1800s when things were starting to flip. You know, hemp 
was a primary crop here in the U.S. It was a, a hugely primary crop. And there was quite a bit that was built on the backs of slaves. You know, this this hemp industry was built on the back, backs of slaves, you know, back then in the 1800s. But here we are, fast forward 2021, only 2 percent of farms, farmland, period, any crop, any agricultural commodity, 2 percent is owned by minorities, 2 yep. percent. Yet here's an agricultural commodity that was, you know, widely grown across the U.S. off the backs of slaves. It just doesn't seem right. Again, that's why it matters. That's why we're having this conversation. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you know, it's, it's crazy, right? You know, I remember we were talking before we came on and, you know, talking about the opportunity you guys are packing up, going to UK and, um, you know, talking about how, uh, well, let's see how it goes. And I was like, what do you mean? It sounds great. But I didn't hear all the shit that came along with it. You know, the, yeah. having the rug pulled out, all that kind of shit. I was yeah. like, oh, benefit of the doubt. No, dude, you guys fucking got shafted multiple times you know what i mean like yes fucked up dude and you know it's almost right we're talking about and they were they offered us an equity and it's not and we're like fuck yeah like it's like it's a surprise when someone's acting with integrity especially in in the in the industry right you know it's like so it's so crazy you know what i mean it's so sad you know and in that regard because it's really not what it's about it's not what it's meant to be about it's not what the plant's about you know and that's why the plant you know i always say right it's like the claw and and the and Toy Story, right? The claw chooses who stays and who goes. The plant chooses the who stays and who goes. You know what I mean? <laughs> the plant chooses who stays and who goes. You know, we've yeah. seen it, right? You know, Ignite, Mad Men, all these companies and shit. And there's a lot more to come, I guarantee you. You know what I mean? Because all these dudes are so busy. You know, they don't even care about uh, about about cannabis. They care about blow and they're blowing all their money. You know what I mean? And they're more about that kind of scene. And that's what they're about. And that life catches up to people. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. They can't be around those kind of people. So they end up Big facts. anyways. But yeah. it's like I tell Alicia, you know, uh, uh, like in, in 10 minutes, 10 months, 10 years, those people will always be the same people. You know, unless they change. But for the sake of the conversation. Call rock bottom. If they hit rock bottom, they realize I got to change my shit, you know? Yeah, well, either way, either way, even if they keep on stepping on people to get where they are, trying to intimidate people to get where they are, try to just use um, staying out of the loop of certain communications to not be held accountable for things, whatever the tactic may be to kind of get where they are, they're going to continue to be that person. Um. And people like myself and Alicia and other people in the industry who exactly resonate with what we're talking about, we'll move on. Mm-hmm. We'll learn from those kind of people. We'll become smarter, more experienced. Um, and while they're there playing with the same instruments and, and doing the same old de- deed every day, we will have moved on and learned new crafts, uh, new equipment, uh, more automated equipment. We will have actually upgraded in that amount of time while they have sat there and done the same thing to more people. And my point is the more people you do that to, oh man, it's coming back. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah, exactly. These people are are con men, you know, and they're just looking for another mark and they move from, from industry to industry, you know, and they move from person to person and they're leeches, you know what I mean? And this, this mm-hmm. is the kind of shit, you know, and I love that you say that, right? I mean, here we are working on ourselves. Here we are working on, on our craft, 
and working on our insides too. We're going to be better people working to, to improve. We're here on this life for a certain amount of time only. You know what I mean? Like what the hell are we here for on this rock spinning in the universe? You know what I mean? We're just here to fucking play around, make money, all this kind of shit. Listen, money's great, dude. We got to make money. We got to support each all this kind of stuff. There's no problem with making money, but what are we going to do at the end of the day? Right? Yeah. We're going to have to have accounting for our shit. We're going to have to do a shit. We're going to have to live with our own selves. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah. these people are so busy. That's how they get through the day is they got to numb themselves, bro, to even look in the mirror and they know what the fuck they're doing deep down. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. Working on ourselves, trying to be better people. You know what I mean? Trying to help each other and doing shit. And year by year, we're improving. And they're, God forbid, yeah. sinking. You know what I mean? And it's uh, I'm grateful to be me. I wouldn't want to be anybody else with me. I don't want to be Amen to that. Uh, yeah create opportunity we were just talking about that actually chris was saying in the car he was like man trying to do the right thing every day is exhausting when you lay your head down at night man like it, it becomes exhausting because you you're always checking yourself to make sure that you know you can look in the mirror and be able to like what you see looking back at you Integrity. and be able to know that you know what you're putting out is is positive is encouraging is inspirational you know that's that's what our work is to do is to lift up people and to, the, and to the good and to the good guys that are the investors, that are the stakeholders, that are the CEOs and, and everybody else that help run a company, the, the financial leaders and backers of all the cannabis companies, to the good guys. I say to you that everything that we've said right now, watch out for some of these consultants out here because it applies to them, too. Yeah. yeah. The Peters, the liars, we the know swindlers, that. We know the that. people, on, the people that learn from YouTube, you know? Yeah, yeah. for sure. For sure. We're Cool guys, you know, it's, you know, switching gear, you know, back back to Victus a little bit as we start to wind down a bit, you know. So here we are, Victus. Here we are moving across UK. You know, what's kind of, and we talked about all the kind of challenges you guys have faced, obviously, you know, with and all this shit, man. Oh my gosh, dude. I love talking to you guys. This has been incredible, you know. So you guys are an amazing couple too. It's it's super dope, you know. Thank you. Um, but, you know, what's what's kind of like that biggest that biggest obstacle they're facing right now with Victus, you know, and kind of like what's what's the plan over to overcome that, you know? Um, well, you know, honestly, we just take it day by day, uh, to be honest. You know, we started this thing a year ago. Uh, a year ago, I really didn't know what it would evolve into. I, I definitely thought, you know, me and Chris, like we said, it started hypothetically years ago. But, you know, on paper last year, a lot of what we've been through in the industry, it drove us to create our own company so that we can show people in the industry that there are people out here who are honest. There are people out here who will go above and beyond what you would expect to be, you know, a, a good deliverable for your, for your project. Um, you know, we're, I've been doing this now for a few years. I, I specialize in building things out from, from the ground floor up. And, and that takes a very unique skill set to be able to visualize someone's dream and, and what they, what they really want to accomplish and execute that and be able to implement that in real world in real time. So, um, you know, we, we face one of the biggest challenges that we do face is the funding. You know, we're in a good place as far as starting to really uh, beef up the marketing of our company, of our brand, what we do, um, the initiatives that are really close to our heart, like social equity and diversity and inclusion, um, you know, scientific innovation. Those are super passions of ours. And we've had great platforms like yourself and your podcast and being able to uh, curate publication uh, article content, 
uh, we're, you know, sitting on conference panels and talking through these things. I'm excited about next month. I'm going to be sitting on a conference panel uh, specifically talking about diversity and inclusion in the STEM workplace, you know, and that's going to be uh, really big. We've got some, some things in the works with universities as far as being guest lecturers on their hemp science programs and, and how to drive that forward and, and really mentor and, and bring up the next generation of scientists and cannabis artists. You know, there's, there's quite a bit that we, we do have going on that's great, but I would say the biggest challenge is being able to uh, sit in front of the investment teams or the investors that have the capital to invest in something and want to be mutually in a relationship with somebody, not just the, you know, I give and you take from this or, or that's how it works. Like we're looking to create a long-term partnership with someone to where we can, you know, really create a business that's going to be sustainable, that's going to put out some dope products, that's going to put out some things that the market's never seen before, that's going to, you know, uh, create some tech that's going to help the market. Uh, there's a lot that between Chris and I, we have, you know, just as knowledge base goes. So, you know, I'm, I'm really yeah. optimistic about the future. I am. And, and for, and just, you know, for the listeners, um, if, if you really want to hear and see a lot of the, the technical knowledge that we possess, even though we've kind of ranted from the left to the right side of the spectrum on the podcast today, um, just like Maynard said, wind, wrapping it up, um, you can you can find some articles uh, written by Alicia and some of them co-authored by myself, one of them completely by myself, but really just, um, just look around at Terpenes and Testing, um, Analytical Cannabis Magazine, Cannabis Scientist Magazine, The Cannabis Business Times, and um, just Google Alicia's name. That's that's the platform that we use right now, <laughs> and you'll be able to see a lot of uh, a lot of our t technical experience that we have there. And um, read up. Very good. No, and definitely. You know, I mean, you guys are. Uh, it's 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 amazing, right? To meet you know people that listen. Great story, right? And everybody loves a great story, and you guys have a great story, right? Great people. Right. That's obvious, you know, but the fucking know how, you know, knowing your shit, being able to build out companies, right. People are trying to steal you. You just try and build out companies, everything like that. So definitely, you know, and then, um, you know, as, once again, you know, I don't know if you guys have uh, caught any of the previous episodes. I think you have, but maybe, you know, if it's coming, not coming, but um, Alicia, Chris, I'll ask you individually, right. Alicia, um, it's always important for me to, to find out and, and to hear from you. Right. How do you define success in life, right? Whether it be professionally, personally, spiritually, existentially, any other E. Yeah, uh, yeah. What does it look like to you, success? So, you know, I think I can cover all the E's in, in what success is to me. And it's something that I prayed for years and years ago, and God's been blessing me with it left and right. And for me, success is being a positive impact on somebody's life. That's that's literally it for me. Like if if it's you know, my child, if it's my husband, if it's my colleague at work, if it's, you know, a stranger on the street that just looks like they're having a bad day, success to me is being a positive impact in someone's life. It's not tied to financial gain. It's not tied to, you know, just um, having this, this fame and, and this huge platform, like, look at me, look at me, none of that. Like, I just want to make an impact in someone's life in a positive manner. And, and I really do feel like God's given me the opportunity to do that. Amazing, 100%, you know, being there, making a positive impact, like you said, encompassing all the ease, right? I think we have everything covered, right? Like we say, people don't necessarily remember what you do, but they remember how you make them feel, 
You know what I mean? Okay. So at the end of the day, it's like all that thing. It could be from any different angle, right? But having a positive influence on you, having that nice memory of Alicia and, and everything that you, that you do. So I love that, man. Uh, so, so Chris, how about, how about you? Uh, to me, even like in spite of everything that we've talked about today, you know, success is being able to take somebody that you might consider as an unfriendly or, or as an enemy, as they say these days, because everybody's so such an opposition and to be able to still just counter that inside of yourself and to be able to pray for somebody else, even though you may consider them an enemy, to be able to, to wish them well, to be able to hope that they'll be able to become a better person. And that's not gauging off of yourself thinking that you're a better person because success is self-growth really. And if, and if you're growing yourself, I think that you'll become successful in the way that you see yourself. You'll become successful in the way that you, you view yourself from other people's perspective too. And that'll help you manage your finances successfully because hopefully you will then become a cheerful giver. You know, the word says uh, God loves a cheerful giver. And I believe that. And if you can become a giver, um, then you'll have success everywhere else. You know, I believe that if you, if you love your neighbor, like you love yourself, you'll fulfill all the other commandments. And I mean, okay. there are absolutely uh, commandments on the tenets of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> and if you can, if you can accomplish that, you'll be successful in everything that you're going to do. And it might not look very successful, but you just got to wait for it. Yeah. We're waiting for it patiently. Oh yeah. oh yeah. And you know, for sure. You know, let's say, uh, you know, God helps those who wait, right? And so God helps those who help others, right? You say being a giver, right? You know, there's this concept, right? What happens when you pray for someone else? What happens when you give to someone else, right? Why is that so important? Because it's like a hose, right? You know, the hose gets the water first. You're being the hose to someone else, right? You're helping someone to be watered and you're actually, it's coming through you first. You know what I mean? And I love that too, you know, about praying for someone else and, and the whole aspect of, of, I think that's something that it's funny to bring that up because we're literally just talking about that, me, me and my wife Tove. You know, where um, there's so much division in the world, so much craziness going on and so much finger pointing, right? Where mm -hmm. it's like, you know, why, what's, I have to work on myself. They have to work on themselves. Why can't I help them, you know, praying for somebody, right? And people not believing in the power of prayer, whatever it is. People come from all kinds of different things. Who am I to judge anybody else? You believe, you don't believe in prayer, whatever else it is, you know? But uh, I know that uh, for me, it's been uh, incredible, you know, and help yeah. praying for someone when I have resentment, bro. Praying for oh, someone yeah. else, dude, immediately yeah. eliminates the resentment. Yeah. You know what I mean, I'm pissed at someone else, dude, and, I'm, and, I, and I pray for that person. Immediately, I'm in a whole different mind state. Instead of like, fuck that guy. Why do they do that mm -hmm. shit? How damn, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I don't even get like, try not to get like that as much for me anymore. I, you know, I still got managed to work on. But if someone like fucks with my wife or with my family, whatever else, then it's like, no, no, no. And even then, you know what I mean? Now I'm learning that even then, you know what I mean? Yeah. No it's a different kind of success, you know, because yeah. it's the, those things are hard to do. It's very hard to to get yourself to, you know, you don't want to do it in vain. You know, you want it to be as genuine as possible and to try to find that pocket. It's a very hard thing to do, man. Um, you know, everybody like are trying to be a, right? Yeah. The more you do it, it's like going to the gym, right? The more you do yeah. it, again. Yeah. It's like muscle memory, you know, instead of like stubbing your toe and saying, like, fuck, yeah. You know, you're like, thank you, God. Thank you so much. I have a toe that I can. Right. You know, right. Yeah. right. The proverbial <laughs> stub toe of life, right? Yeah. The proverbial yeah. stub toe of life. Exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. Exactly. For sure. Cool. Amazing guys. You've been great. Obviously um, was looking forward to this and it was better than I could ever expect it. You know, as we close, how can uh, listen to find out more about you, Victus Capital Ventures, everything else, connect with you, pay for your services, Ryan, not <laughs> that fun stuff. Uh, we're thinking over with that. Sure. So you can uh, find me uh, specifically, you can find me and Chris both on LinkedIn. We are active on LinkedIn. Uh, we also have our Instagram platform uh, for Victus Capital Ventures. And we have our website. Our website is www.victus-cv.com. And you can go there and schedule time to talk to us about your project. Uh, you can shoot us an email about what you got going on. Um, we just started talking about our hashtag for social and um, diversity and inclusion issues. Um, so, you know, if you're feeling like you want to share your story with us or just with the world, hashtag weed to W-E-E-D-T-O-O. And let's start to really raise the awareness of what is going on that's in the industry that needs to be brought to light. That's um, you know, that's that's something we're working on. We're passionate about. You can also find us on, um, you know, different platforms, musical platforms like Pandora. We have our first band uh, released through our record label, Victus Records Doctrine. Oh. Uh, their album, Step Well, is on um, all streaming platforms, Pandora, Apple, uh, Google Play, all those different things. And we've got some new music coming out this year, too. Um, yours truly was playing the keys for one of the tracks. So I'm real excited about that one coming out. It's <laughs> definitely on a whole new level from their first album. So yeah. Um, yeah, just look us up and you can Google our names too. You know, Google Christopher Ratliff, cannabis scientist to find his article, Google my name, and you can find um, any of the publications that I've written or podcasts that I've been a part of. Yep. And real quick, you know, if you're going to use the hashtag and if you do want to tell your story, uh, tell some good stories too. You know, this isn't just I'm a sorry. complaining session, you know, I mean, it's, you know, if you're going to say weed too, uh, talk about the amazing people you work for. Talk about the amazing investors that are in your life, the people that yeah. invest in you, you know, don't, don't just, don't just say negative things because that's not what it's all about. Yes, there is a lot of that. And I want to bring attention to it, man, especially to help people avoid with some of the stuff that Alicia and I have encountered, but we need the positive stories too. Absolutely. 100% positivity in the industry is uh, definitely needed so much. And positivity in the world, right, you know, shining through and everything that, that we're doing, God only knows. So, oh, wow, guys, this has been incredible. And obviously all those links and everything, uh, they'll be here in the write-up if you're seeing it on the website or uh, here in the description if wherever you're looking at it. Uh, it should be easy to find. Um, so, uh, uh, Christopher, Alicia, it's been incredible. Thank you so much for jumping Same on here. today. Thank you. Everybody for, for listening wherever you're at. And uh, good luck to you the rest of the year and beyond. Thank you. You too, man. It's great. Thanks for listening to Dank Discussions. We are so grateful for each and every one of you. Please make sure you subscribe and leave a review. We want to continue making dank content you want to hear. So give us some feedback about the topics you want covered. Feel free to reach out to us at grow at calican.com. That's G-R-O-W at C-A-L-A-C-A-N-N.com. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter for our latest updates.